to Make My Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Jake Hill. And I'm Elias Rosner. And this week, we are winding down our coverage of the Annihilation Saga with some sweet Sphinx action. Excelsior! Yeah, a lot of Sphinx in this uh, these these issues. Wasn't expecting the Sphinx, right? I mean, I was expecting him from the cover and the... <laughs> You know, for the riddle of the Sphinx, but I didn't expect four issues of the guy. No one expects the Sphinx to come. I guess that's his his super his real superpower because I'm pretty vague on what those are. But we're not just reading uh, a Sphinx solo series. We are almost through our coverage of the Annihilation Saga, a sci-fi epic which formed the modern incarnation of the team we now know as the Guardians of the Galaxy. The movies were based on this uh, huge run. It is primarily spearheaded by Dan Abner and Andy Lanning, and at this point they are the pretty much the only two writers left standing. Uh, everybody else who we discussed um, has departed, and we are reading um, the final issues of Nova, which is the longest-running ongoing of this era, and uh, we're also going to be looking at a Realm of Kings Imperial Guard story before concluding with the final issue of Nova. Yeah, it's kind of weird it's one of our one of our smallest ones <laughs> and i i think when we get to the end I'll, I'll talk more about my full feelings on on this set of you know issues and then realm of kings as a whole pretty it's definitely been the least focused of them all pretty weird place to leave a 35 issue series on huh oh yeah it'll be a pretty I... weird way to end the episode for the same reason yeah it's going to be especially weird because as I have no idea how any of this is going to wrap up next time. But I'm getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Uh, so we are going to start by talking about Nova issues number 32 to 35. Those are written by Dan Abnett and Annie Lanning. Uh, there are issues illustrated by Andrea DeVito and others by Mahmoud Asrar. Uh, it, uh, inks are also by Andrea DeVito and Scott Hanna. Uh, colored by Bruno Hang and J. David Ramos. And lettered by VCs Corey Petit. Booyah. Man. Um, so... Um, have you ever read a comic with the Marvel and the Sphinx in it before, Elias? No. This is the first one I have encountered. Uh, and my first thought when I saw him was, uh, is this Conchu's sexy younger brother? See, what I wrote in my notes um, was that the Sphinx really felt like a dollar store Kang the Conqueror. That too. Because Kang loves ancient Egypt stuff. I, I guess. I mean, he is. I mean, his whole thing is far more complicated than the Sphinx. The Sphinx just seems like he's some old guy who travels through time and that messed him up. Oh, I wish. I looked up the Sphinx on Mar oh, no. Marvel Wiki. So it turns out I, I'm not going to go into exhaustive notes because uh, he's the Sphinx, but. <laughs> the Sphinx was a real vizier in ancient Egypt to a real historical pharaoh. I think Ramses II. Okay. But apparently a mutant. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I bet if he was a mutant in ancient Egypt, that probably ties into some story with Apocalypse. Nope. As far as I can tell, the Sphinx and Apocalypse have never met the old, uh, you know, the two mutants of ancient Egypt. Um, and then I was like, well, I'm sure the Sphinx has, like, cool time powers or something. Or, like, uh, you know, he's got mutant powers. And at the bottom of the wiki where it lists their powers, it just talked about the uh, the stones, the costumes. Mm -hmm. And there was just a list of things he could do with the costumes, but there's no mention of like a separate mutant power. So I'm assuming maybe his mutant powers are the same as something like what the costume lets him fly. Maybe he can fly. And then just like superfluously, he also can fly because he's got the costumes. But like, I have no idea what this guy's mutant powers are. I hope he gets resurrected and put on Krakoa and they immediately throw him in the pit. I hate the Sphinx. <laughs> I think if we've reached this far, we're never going to see the Sphinx. Um, that being said, these issues aren't irredeemable or anything. Like, I had fun with these issues, but, like, man, the Sphinx. Why, yeah, why did we need to... The, what's especially egregious about all of this is these are the four final issues, you know, right before the the, the finale of Nova... And they basically have nothing to do with anything else. Like, the fault is there. 
and it just makes me feel like you know this was supposed to be there was supposed to be more and this was going to be one more adventure but then they had to truncate the you know the realm of kings era to be a little bit shorter that you'll uh, definitely feel that when we get into Thanos imperative too they definitely feel oh like they have boy. a lot more to say than they had room to that's that's a shame but yeah that's that's kind of how that's how i felt with guardians too like there's a lot that was being built up and then just boop ended it's, and that's why i i guess they felt like they could ha- spend so much time with the sphinx this is a four parter it's four issues yeah four issues I this is going to be a one issue you know going and disappearing into nowhere you could justify two three is tough it's four it's four um God. so like if you not look as bad as a bendis decompression but if you look at the sphinx's publication history he's mostly appeared in nova stories and like new warriors and stuff so he is like historically known as nova's nemesis and yeah and that i get because there's a bunch of characters who have like classical nemeses who are tough to write like iron man with the mandarin yeah or like um i feel like every time a spider-man well i mean spider-man's villains are so well known i mean like uh I'm trying to think of a really good one. But just like uh, sometimes they have like an obscure nemesis and you kind of have to prove to the reader that their nemesis is worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And I just like – I didn't walk out of here being like, oh, Sphinx is cool. Like I see why he and Nova has such amnity. They didn't send me – sell me on the arch nemesis thing at all. It seemed completely impersonal. They just like fought a bunch of times and like got in each other's way a bunch. And – Nothing about the Sphinx's premise seems like it should be a Nova thing. And, like, I feel like the incongruity isn't even interesting, that he's, like, a magical pharaoh dude fighting this space guy. Yeah. He's just kind of... there. It it feels like they were trying to write in, you know, Kang. (laughs) Especially with the inclusion of Reed Richards. So, anyway, let's, let's walk through... The issues, as you know, briefly, but you know, let, let's try. Yeah. <laughs> let's try to get through them. the plot as it is. Take us through it. So, Nova and and Darkhawk, after being blown up in a temple by one of the Raptors, you know, little little crystal things. So, last time on Nova, that, they that... blew up. Everyone thought they were dead, and by everyone, I mean I was. I was wondering if they would be killed or how they would get out of it. My my last note for uh, mm-hmm. my last note for issue number thirty one says, "And Richard Ryder is lost in a rift again." <laughs> so I missed. I guess I missed that detail because I'm like, "Oh, he's dead." But the start of thirty two is nope, stuck in a rift, uh, and they're both apparently have been stolen out of time by. Uh, you know, the Sphinx, who is one of Nova's big bads, so big and bad that he doesn't even notice that Darkhawk is there. Poor Darkhawk, he's being ignored. I expected that to come back into play in some meaningful way. Not really. I mean, it's there, but not really. Uh, and then they get attacked by some living sand that kind of look like, you know, animal people. I guess they're supposed to be representative of the ancient Egyptian gods, but I just thought they looked like brute force. (laughs) And what I would have killed to have a brute force Nova crossover instead of this. Uh, Turns out they've been brought to ancient Egypt, they think, but maybe it's not so ancient. And Uh, And they meet Reed Richards, who has also been stolen out of time and... You know, he's doing his Reed Richards things. He doesn't want to know. He doesn't want to be told about any of the future stuff. And I guess that's the most interesting angle that this story has. Like, the Back to the Future stuff is kind of fun. Like, Reed as as Doc Brown and Nova as Marty actually makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And, like, all of the uh, Nova, Darkhawk, and Reed are all being pulled from, like, different points of the timeline. So they're, like... and, And... I, they make a little bit of, like, story hay out of that. Like, that, those dynamics are kind of what uh, most drew my interest to this. Um, all of the, like, it's the ancient Egyptian gods makes no sense. It's, like, the most arbitrary thing. Yeah, it's not a lot. It's not very interesting. It's just kind of there. It's just to give them a faceless army to beat up. Uh, and 
for the most part, that's a lot of what the conversations are. It, Reed is not at his most insufferable, which is nice. Like this, I enjoyed reading this about this Reed as much as I could. Uh, the so when they're talking, they find out that this there's this pyramid there. Got some some advanced tech, probably the Sphinx's tech. I think it was a pyramid. It it might have been the weird Sphinx with the jagged teeth and skull face. And it's just like the side of that that they pulled away. Yeah, it's not well, a very they tried to escape. convincing. Mm-hmm. It's, it, the, their ancient Egypt doesn't feel very lived in. No, and the reason for that is it's not really ancient Egypt, nor is it the 1920s, as Reed speculated. Uh, as we find out when Darkhawk flies away... Uh, and Nova hits an invisible wall, crashes back down, as you do. Uh, and, well, before that, Black Bolt walks out of the water. Yeah, Black Bolt's alive again, I guess. And he's carrying uh, a mummy, which turns out to be Namorita. Now, I would like you to fill me in a little bit more on Namorita. I think we've seen her before in this, but I really don't know much about her. Oh, and Sobek attacks them out of the water, and that was a pretty cool splash page. Yeah, uh, good art in this. Andrea DeVito and Mahmoud Asrar, when he comes in, are both like um, both artists I really like today, and they're a little bit younger and less experienced and like scrappier here than I'm used to them now. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I think they're great today, and I think that this stuff is like really strong. It's like the it's not the style you would draw it in today. Yeah, um, and a lot of that has to do with the coloring. But it's definitely like you can see, like like uh, Asrar just did a X Men Red, and I think his art in that is excellent. Yeah, it's very good. It's it's more it's rougher here, but yeah, you but can I, see the start of it. But it's it's still good. I love that. I my favorite with that is uh, when uh, Adrian Alfana did the original Brian K. Vaughn Runaways in like two thousand five, mm-hmm. and then he did Kamala Khan Ms. Marvel in like two thousand thirteen or whatever that started. Yeah, and it's so different. And well, and it's like so, but it's so clearly the same guy. But it's one of them is just like light years ahead of it, and they're both good. But one of them is like what comes with experience, and I think that's such a fun example of that. I love it when you can see that happening in comics. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but so yeah, we get Namorita the... is. Um, yeah. So you probably know the most famous thing that happened to Namorita, which is how she died. Oh well, yeah. They reveal that here, and I I didn't know that she was even. There, so Namorita died in the events of civil war. Not in the events; she was part of the inciting incident. She was killed off. It happens in the pages uh, of the main series, though. If like if you take yeah. if you get the civil war trade, the like civil war number one to six that Marvel sells a million copies of for some reason, because when you market a comic that hard, people will buy it even if it's not good. Mm-hmm. If you just like tell them it's important, um, and you see Namorita explode there, and she's part of the new Warriors group that has like a reality show, and then they're trying to film them capturing the villain Nitro, whose power is blowing himself up, and he blows himself up and like kills like a town. Yeah, he was. They were in the suburbs, and they break into the backyard, and then they escape into a school zone, and because I guess Nitro is just that evil, he blows himself up and kills. Uh, I don't know if it was a school bus or the entire school. It was an elementary school in Stamford, Connecticut, really playing on a lot of the the suburban fears of terrorist attacks. Yeah, and Civil War is so sprawling and convoluted. There's like a zillion stories. Like it turns – if you read the Wolverine series from that era – and yes, I have (laughs) because I hate myself read every tie-in issue of Civil War just to say I did it. I have too. <laughs> but the Wolverine series reveals that Nitro was on drugs at the time, and the drugs were like amplifying his powers, and he didn't know it was going to explode that big. Uh, I guess that's a fine enough retcon. <laughs> there's, it's just it, well, it's filled with all these retcons that are happening at the same time and contradicting. Civil War is insane. Um, but Namorita was blown up in that, and a lot of her legacy after that instantly became that like she was irresponsible millennial because she like uh, was making a reality show for the internet, and that's what led to these kids dying. And I always felt that even in the text of the story, that was like a really tenuous reach. That you would yeah. like, that you would, because they didn't do anything provocative to even make this guy explode. And there's like the footage of it is famous. Um, it just seems like 
such if a you wanted I, to critique the idea the idea of reality tv and like a cops style show there are so many better ways of doing it well, I just I never buy it within the story. Like I, I when people make yeah. the arguments, they sound they don't they they sound empty to me. Like even like the person who was writing that didn't really believe this. Mm-hmm. Um, incredibly stupid story. But so Namorita is uh, Namor's cousin, and um, um, Namor's like extended family has been introduced in all sorts of weird Defenders comics over the years. But notably, Namorita was in the classic lineup of the New Warriors which is the team that Nova was on with Darkhawk and Rage and Justice. And um, I'm probably leaving out all sorts of fun new warriors. <laughs> um, just, just maybe. What's your experience with the new warriors, Elias? That I have none. My, my experience is watching them get blown up in Civil War. I know Scotty Young did <laughs> one, which was the precursor series, which was them having a reality show. Um but that's it. As with anything, I definitely know there's some good new uh, New Warriors comics. I had this awesome lady when I worked at a comic store. I had this awesome lady in like her 40s who grew up reading New Warriors who was just trying to reread it and collect it all in trade, which I thought was adorable. Mm-hmm. And just she and her sister used to buy it. She told me this whole cute story. And um, every time Marvel had a new collection, she would see like she would just keep reading the story. It was her thing. So I read some of the comics on her recommendation of some of her favorites. So I've read some New Warriors comics, but like not my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And Nova and Namorita are real like a uh, football player cheerleader in that book. Like that's kind of their attitude. Gotcha. Nova's like a you know he's like an insecure jock, and Namorita is like a real like compassionate, classical styled Stan Lee pouty love interest. Mm-hmm. Is the their dynamic in like the '80s comics, and um, it's fine or whatever. But my big issue with with these issues, I guess I just played myself, is <laughs> um. Namorita comes out of nowhere, like so. So she gets revived here, yeah. And you quickly get filled in on this story, and that she had this like uh, love story with Rich, and she got blown up when he was fighting at war, and he came back to find that she died horribly. Um, but never has he, in the pages of the last thirty-one issues, like th- he he talked about it in passing with some friends. Um, but it was never really at the forefront. Like Namorita was not a. a, a... A meaningful part of this book most of his you know worries and whatnot were more prescient they were more related to the nova Corps. and whenever he thought about the new warriors he thought about the new warriors as a group and not as individuals which makes it even weirder that they're presenting her as like this great love here because like it yeah. would be like if your college friend had you heard your college friend died and you ran into your old your old college friends and just like you talk about it mournfully and passing before moving on to other topics that's how he's talking about the death of the love of his life apparently if if all you've read of Richard Ryder is this series, which for both of us uh, at that point was true for me and is true for you now, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And in issue number 31, I told you in the next issue, Richard is going to be confronted with the love of his life. Who would you have said? I don't actually know. I would have said Gamora. Just like in this story, that's kind of how they're setting her up. Like she's a, his, yeah. a, his great love story. There's a ton of interesting and good uh, Richard Gamora love story since Annihilation. Um, and it's not working out for them. They're kind of on the outs right now. But Yeah, Gamora's kind of been pushed to Warlock. Yeah, in a way that uh, doesn't feel true to... Um, to their relationship, to her relationship with Richard, and if you're doing like a big romantic finale to the series, the only thing that makes sense is Gamora. That's she who's been in the series. Yeah, this is in this. I wonder if it was a editorial mandate. Well, if this wasn't the finale, you could have stood up a love triangle. If this was an ongoing going forward, because now he's got this revived version of Namorita, who remembers being with him but he's already moved on from her death and then like does that like bring up old feelings it's like a and she also hasn't like clearly hasn't broken up with him like hasn't had the the years years since and that's great spider-man shit that happens to spider-man all the time stuff like this (laughs) you know i this is superhero 101 i think this works but what what's crazy is then they kind of ended up this note of um 
and Namorita was the one for him. And you're like, I just met her. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this. Yeah. But in this story, Namorita comes back. Black Bolt carries her out of the, the river. Uh, and then we get some a lot of jargon about the Sphinx and the Sphinx's secret special tunnels. And, you know, eventually we find out why... Uh, this who the Sphinx is battling. Uh, and we get some also, each of the characters get to have some nice regrets. And like, how could things have been better? And for some reason, Namorita is right there at the top. And not a single, you're right, not a single mention of, of Gamora. None. Like, just nothing. If, if you told me nope. that the, the Gamora thing was like, not that serious a relationship for, to him, I would also buy that. But just like, mm-hmm. um, she's the only person who he's been really romantically involved in. He seemed yeah. to care for her. I've And I feel like what this was, is them trying to bring Nova back to the main Marvel continuity. Not like main Marvel, but like Earth. Like rather than centering him in space... They were trying to center him back on Earth with the other heroes. Uh, they were, and I guess it's, it's kind of a folding in rather than expanding out, which is what the rest of the series had all been. Yeah, and actually at this point, this is coming. These issues I think are coming out roughly concurrently with um, uh, Secret Avengers. Mm-hmm. Um, those first issues were written by Ed Brubaker of that series, and uh, Nova plays a pretty big role there. And he like teams up with Captain America, and they go to Mars. Oh wow. Um, and it seemed like they were aiming for um, for like maybe like a Richard Rider on the Avengers thing, and then uh, it goes in a different direction, as we'll talk about next week. Yeah. Um, well, whatever the case with that, in the end, the the rest of this miniseries, not miniseries, the rest of these issues are just more battles in between young Sphinx and old Sphinx. Apparently, the Sphinx is being riddled by temporal cancer. This is all, and this is all classic Kang shit. Just a young Kang fighting old Kang. Yeah, and I mean, of course, cancer being next to the fault. I'm like, well, I could that kind of plays, but I was expecting cancer versus Sphinx. Um, I mean, whole thought that's what I was expecting. Uh, stay tuned with that a little bit, but not. It's not. It, it not that it's satisfying, but with more explanation, you'll see. <laughs> it is so somewhat so, explained. I, okay. Um, and, one thing I liked is um, yeah. So they have this setup where the the time displaced superheroes are fighting a bunch of time displaced villains. The whole thing is very Battle World, which actually is kind of fun. It's like a little mini uh, Secret War. Yeah, and like we get Moonstone. Right, and then the villain lineup here, like Moonstone, is really fun. I love Ulysses Bloodstone. You know Ulysses Bloodstone. Yeah, vaguely. I know. I know Elsa Bloodstone more. So he's like a immortal monster hunter, and he just like brutally goes across the world killing monsters, including like innocent ones trying to live in peace. And he just like tears mm-hmm. them apart. And he trained his kids to be like scary Buffy assassins. Mm-hmm. And he just like sucks, and he represents all that's wrong with British imperialism. He's super fun. It's fun to watch him get his ass kicked. It is fun. A uh, Star get God is kicked. there. I love Star God. I don't know who Star God is. Uh, he is John Jameson, the son of J. Jonah Jameson, who's been cursed by a werewolf from space to oh. to have the powers. I didn't know his name was Star God. Yeah, he's got the powers of a Star God. <sighs> okay. Um, he. Gets... I liked the Gorgon Black Bolt battle. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That was that was that was good. That was some good drama. And I. Uh... Yeah, well-written drama. Like I said, a lot of this execution yeah. is, like, real fun. Like, it, Abnett and Landing are great at just, like, writing an ongoing superhero comic. Yeah, and it felt like this was another place where it felt like they were thinking to the future because they kind of tease that Medusa is going to die in something called the Shadow War. And oh, I'm like, what's that? I don't think we're ever going to get it. No, classic stuff, though. Yeah. There or was... it was just them trying to be ominous. Um, I... Oh, shoot, I'm going to... I'm going to say something out of turn or forget uh, exactly the wording of this, but uh, Chris Claremont famously was foreshadowing a big conflict in his X-Men in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was called the Shadow War, but it was going to be like a mutant war with the Shadow King. Yeah. And, and it never happened? No, and it never happened. And all his Shadow King setup ends up getting resolved by different writers in different ways. Damn. But I just I wonder if Abnett and Lanning knew that and were like uh, playing with that idea of like Medusa dying in a huge war against the Shadow King. 
And I mean, because this is outside of time and everything, you know, you get to get to mess around with that. Darkhawk gets to battle himself or the other raptor again. Yeah. It's fine. They it's battle in a tree. It's battle a tree. It's cool. I, I, you really sold me on Darkhawk, and I like these evil Darkhawks. I think that that makes sense for like the mythology of him in a super spooky. Yeah. So, and eventually, old old Kang, not old Kang, old Sphinx gets both costumes and goes all megalomaniacal and giant and Galactus, and they basically have a, a big Galactus fight for the next issue. Yeah, classic, like you do. I think Richard's fought Galactus, like, twice so far in this run. (laughs) Something like that. Uh, The the way they defeat him is they exile him back into the real universe because the only reason that he's able to survive with two Ka-Stones is because he's in the fault where time and space are broken or something. Uh, So they send him back, he dies, and Nova, you know, pensively reaches out to grab Namorita... So that she doesn't die or something. Everyone else goes back to their own times thinking it's just a strange dream. But then it turns out Namorita was pulled through the fault. Yeah, which um, is like not supposed okay. to be able to happen. Yeah, and she's alive again, I guess. But this was also a version of her that was pulled before she was part of the New Warriors. You know, the the Civil War part. So I don't know how they resolve that paradox unless it's just she lived her life, she died, and then there's a new one here. I don't know. Whatever the case, she's alive again. And that's it. Yeah, uh, that's the end of these issues. Well, I mean, that's a pretty... If this was an ongoing, that's a pretty good cliffhanger. But because this is now becoming like the central conflict, that's super weird. Yeah, it's super weird, especially because you can reach the end. You're like, there's one issue left. How are they going to resolve all this? They, we're going to have to hold that thought because yeah. uh, the answer is um, is actually complicated. So we're going to take an entire time to talk about that. But first, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach, and I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we're back. We're here to talk about the last bit of Realm of Kings and then the final issue of Nova. But first, the final bit of Realm of Kings, the Imperial Guard 1 through 5 miniseries. It was something. I won't I will say it was it was fun to read at times, but I definitely found myself in the first issue going, Why? Why is this a thing? Yeah. Why are these the characters they chose to focus on? And especially as part of Realm of Kings. Yeah. I know you got feelings about Realm of Kings. I got feelings about the Imperial Guards. We are talking about Realm of Kings Imperial Guard, written by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, illustrated by Kevin Walker, colored by Nathan Fairbairn, and lettered by VC's Clayton Cowles. And um, Elias, do you going into this, I'm sure you've encountered the Shi'ar Imperial Guard in Marvel Comics before. What do you think of the Shi'ar Imperial Guard? Well, we I remember last meeting them during War of Kings. They were there. They were part of they were basically Vulcan's hit squad. Uh and they were pretty crappy then. And we get introduced to them here and my first thought was and I know we've said this about a lot of books, but this really is like peak this feels like Warhammer 40k. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Where yeah. I was gonna you're ask. fighting like these big mechs, and everything's gritty and grimy, and lots of bullets and guns, and everyone sucks. Like that's kind of the Warhammer vibe. Like no one is good. You're rooting for the guy who murders people and crushes their heads, uh, for no reason other than like they feed the blood god or whatever. Yeah, and I I don't know Warhammer. <laughs> I yeah, Warhammer's something I keep trying to get into. Um, yeah. 
Kieran Gillen wrote a Warhammer comic. I should read that in trade. I read the first issue. Good, it was good. It's a good, good mini. But again, uh, that was like, this is all I need to know about Warhammer. <laughs> uh, this is just Warhammer light. I also get the from from the Imperial Guard. So I know that the Imperial Guard's based on what is it, the Legion of Superheroes at DC? Is that right? Maybe, but they they just feel like discount X Men. Well, they 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 fight the X Men, but the Claremont, if I recall, was doing a thing where he was just like, um, "Oh, it'd be really fun if the X Men could fight the Legion of Superheroes," because he liked that book over at DC. Hmm. Um. Gotcha. And it was just like the classic lineup. I hope I'm getting Legion of Superheroes right. Um. I mean that that would make sense. They're they're the only big team over at DC that feels like this. The Imperial Guard. I'm looking it up. Yeah, uh, each one of them corresponds to. So, like, uh, I'm trying to look at guys who I remember showed up in this one. Like, Mentor is supposed to be Brainiac Five. Uh, Kazar is supposed we... to be, or Smasher is supposed to be like Ultra Boy. Starbolt is supposed to be like Sun Boy. Um, uh, Gladiator is supposed to be Superman. Oh. And, uh, and Neutron and Plutona are supposed to be. Oh my like... God. Um. Saturn Girl and I don't know. So yeah, I don't I, know the Legion. I don't know the Legion that well either. But so I know it's supposed to be an homage, but it never feels like uh, by reputation the Legion comics have like great characterization. I know people really love those guys. Mm-hmm. The Imperial Guard always feels like like uh, I'm trying not to say it derisively, like somewhere between like GI Joe and like a Clone Wars kind of thing. <laughs> we're we're like each of them have like a gimmick and like a, a like a move set and that's kind of their whole thing yeah it's just like, like this one their is their personality is just kind of one note yeah like this one is on fire and he's hyperactive this one is real big and he loves sandwiches right yeah a mentor is just kind of a you know a grump but and he's super smart and then, you know, Gladiator's Gladiator. But then you've got uh, Wild Child. I don't know his name. Uh, and he his whole thing is he hates other people. Yeah. And, or whatever. And Wild Child, I don't know his name, like really sums up how the Imperial Guard come across to me in this miniseries. Oh, Fang. His name is Fang. <laughs> uh, but despite that, there are a couple characters I liked, and I did uh, have a good time following some of them. Mm-hmm. Like, I was happy to see Lady Araki and Talon are still conspiring, and I was like, oh, this mm-hmm. is building up the courtroom stuff pretty cool. I like I like the Talons and their relationship to Darkhawk and their space alchemy, and as like an order of assassins working for this corrupt politician who's ostensibly on our side. That's pretty thrilling. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And especially because, like... The, what was it? Sorry, I just totally blanked on, on what, oh yeah, Counselor Iraqi. I don't think they're really in collusion, like they're not, they're not working together, uh, because Talon replaces Iraqi and then puts her in stasis. It's like he's, he's pretending, like, I don't know Iraqi, if Iraqi even knows Talon exists, but that makes it even more interesting because you've got whatever the, the house Iraqi is, um, plotting and then you've also got what talon is plotting and maybe those would have been at odds or maybe they would have aligned you never know love that stuff love that stuff too yeah and they're doing the like assassin's creed of it all really cool they're they're the the, the talons are super freaky yeah they're super freaky uh um, we op- we opened the the comic on a big battle on a planet of course and then of course, Gladiator swoops in after, you know, doing the battle stuff. Uh, he's not supposed to be doing that. He's not supposed to be getting his hands dirty anymore because he's now the, the Praetor. He's now the 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 leader of the Shi'ar Imperium. Uh, and he has to be stuck in a courtroom on a throne hearing people talk about meetings. And he's so fucking tired. And when I said there's characters who worked for me in this, Gladiator is a big one. And actually, that's yes. awesome, because Gladiator, he was on my beloved X-Men cartoon in the early 90s when I was a kid, and uh, he's been showing up in X-Men comics all the time. His son showed up in a really wild Jason Aaron run of X-Men. Um, just Gladiator's like, great. No, no, and I never was interested in him for any of that. He was just always around. 
Um, he had this like wild look and uh, this uncertain power set, but this really gave him a conflict where I, I cared about his inner life of him like struggling as this like soldier man of action to like mm-hmm. have the patience to do what he needed to do, and he's like doing it because he's committed, but it's like really a struggle for him. Yeah, that's interesting to watch. He's trying to he's trying to overcome it. It's interesting to see people like work to overcome their personal failings to do what they got to do. It's great. Yeah, it was really great for that, and. He his through line was probably the most compelling, although I have to say I'm surprised that by the end I actually I I started to feel for mentor. I did not like mentor at the beginning. I didn't like any of them, really. But by the end, they did a really good job of actually making me come around to if not being, you know, liking the Imperial Guard and wanting to see more of them. But by the end of the story, they made me empathize with them. They humanized them really well. Yeah, and that's what and that's of, hard to do, especially with kind semi-generic characters. They make me feel old when I read. Because I completely agree, and I feel like they do it so effortlessly. And I'm just like, ah, oh, kids these days—they don't write like Abnett and Lanning did <laughs> in the 2010s. Uh, but like, I, I think they—they're they're really carrying over a sensibility. What I think it is is there used to be longer continuous runs, like. Uh, while you could trace a writer, you know, the numbering never broke and the story would pick up issue to issue clearly from the last thing. Yeah. And because issue to issue, there was more episodic. It was a little bit easier to do that because you'd be like, oh, Spidey's going on an adventure downtown today. Like that was kind of the vibe. But but nowadays they, they reboot everything so much that I feel like if that's all you've ever known, um, it's harder to know which threads to pick up on because there's so many abandoned ideas because of all the, yeah. the starts and stops. And yeah. Abnett and Lanning are just bringing in the sensibility of like you have the expectation that you're going to go on forever. So you just like layer, you go at your own pace. Mm-hmm. And nowadays yeah, and I, I feel mean... like uh, people are like, I'm going to get canceled by issue 12. I better set this up for that. <laughs> Which can be also be good. Like you want it's something great. that's yeah. sat- that has a satisfying ending, but also if you've got something that can play into the grander soap opera that is the Marvel universe, the DC universe, or whatever, that's great. Especially when like you reintroduce Raza Longknife and Chaod. Yeah, and so th- those are the other two characters that really worked for this. Um, Raza like really got to reflect on the events of War of Kings in this way that I wasn't sure we were going to follow up on. And X Men Kingbreaker. And X Men Kingbreaker, that amazing comic that I didn't read. Um, <laughs> but like, I think that this is what is often missing from like Marvel events is that a story never feels complete until like the characters have had time to reflect on the story and like see how they've been mm-hmm. changed by it. Yeah. And events always end at the climax where just like they're about to go through a big change and then they're like, tune in next time. And this really makes like everything that Raza went through. We got infected by a symbiote and he seems like really troubled by that experience. Mm-hmm. Like that was um that was super compelling for me. And I liked how it tied back to the events of the previous event series and it made uh, like a bunch of stuff yeah. consequential. It was one of the the highlights kind of was seeing those conversations because it was an it was a nice down moment as well because we had all the action of you know the fault being there and and the star jammers having to pair up with the imperial guard and they don't like each other oh classic uh, stuff star jammers always team up with the imperial guard one time before the end of the story it's really funny though that we're technically supposed to be on the Imperial Guard side because they're the point characters, they're the ones in the title. But I'm like, no, the Star Jammers are, are so much better. I, I'm i just wa- watching and waiting for them to, to dunk on the Imperial Guard the whole time. Yeah, Raza uh, and, and they do. Raza and Chaud rule, right? It's not just me. They always rule. No, they're great. He's just like great. cool space elf with swords and giant frogman who is kind. <laughs> They have fun with it too, and I love the bickering between Chaud and Mentor. Mentor, like he's he's showing off. He's like, I know how to do all this stuff, and Chaud kind of has to take it because he's like, oh, I know you're right. I don't like it, but you are. You have identified these problems. But then then he gets to turn around and be like, Come on, dude, get out of your head. Yeah, which effectively sells Mentor's like know it all thing. Yeah. And Chaud just comes across, like, so serene. I feel like uh, Chaud would be voiced by Keanu Reeves. <laughs> I hope I hope they, they cast him whenever they do a Star Jammers movie. Uh, of course. I just saw... 
I just saw uh, a bunch of. I just saw blood sports in a movie. Anything's possible. Bl- Anything, oh wow. Blood sports was played by Idris Elba in a film. Oh my god. Yeah, Keanu Reeves can play Chad. Yeah, yeah, he could. So back to whatever was happening in Imperial Guard. They're flying through the rift, flying through the rift, and then they get swallowed by dead space cancerverse whale and proceed to fly through a really messed up alien H.R. Geiger style internal system. And they're attacked by, uh, they describe it as basically the, the immune system of this dead organic ship space whale. Sure. And it's. <laughs> Pretty messed up stuff. That sounds like Farscape. Yeah, but it's it's what you expect from the big creepy rift. Well, and what I love about this is this is such a good wrestling build where in a bunch of different series right now they're just like, what's in the rift? And you're just like, tell me what's in the rift. And they build it up for months and then at WrestleMania they open the rift and you're like, yo, Cancerverse. <laughs> it's a really but good they build, are, is what I'm But saying. they already revealed what's in the rift back in War of uh, Realm of Kings number one. They just teased it though. You, like uh, you will, oh, that you do not know the half of it. Oh God, really? Yeah, oh, yeah, God. yeah. They're they're building to like a big villain reveal. They're gonna have a. This is all for. Oh, really? They, they do this so much in the '90s so poorly, and I think it's done so well here. They do this with like onslaught, and they did this with strife. Uh. Yeah, just like, like I didn't even know they were building to something like big, other than there's the many angled one. I understand, like you don't need to understand more than that. You're like, oh, it's the big bad. It's it, you know, it doesn't matter. And I guess if they pull it off and it matters, that's good. Well, you... but if they're building to something like Judas Traveler, <laughs> his mysterious orb of stupid. Yeah, well, that's that's what exactly what I'm saying. It's done so poorly, and but I feel like this reveal, I mean, we'll talk about it next time, you'll tell me. Just all of this build-up of, like, you won't believe what is going to happen in the finale when they have to close the fault is, like, you won't believe it. It's it's unbelievable. Okay. Um, And it's, uh, and this sells me on it. It's spooky, and the Geiger stuff is cool. I think that the, um, the Kevin Walker art, like, totally does what it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I there were times in it where I'm like this it really varied in quality within these five issues, which surprised me because normally it was pretty solid. But yeah, it I, I don't know, it was a little sometimes it felt a little a little over inked. Like there were too many too many, you know, lines, but not cross hatching lines. Like people just felt a little too wrinkly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's what I was saying earlier with like even with the other artists on the Nova issues, mm-hmm. the the style of the day is really like dragging down what I know will eventually look better to my eyes today. Yeah, and no one has eye, no one has pupils, <laughs> no one. That's a very, everyone has young blood disease. That's a very like stylized superhero thing with the masks. Yeah, like even. I had no man. It's just really weird to to not see a single pupil on any of the characters. <laughs> yeah, it was a little disarming. Um, uh, so I like um, I like all the the gladiator stuff uh, towards the end with all of the he could barely contain his rage, but he's got to like remain calm. Yeah, and he he imagines destroying and killing a whole bunch of people at the at the table because that's just. You know, that's his thing. Oldest like, oldest trick in the book, but um, very effective in the moment. Oh, yeah. I thought he actually went for it. I'm like, oh, no, that tracks. He fi- he finally snapped. But at the same time, I'm like, no, he wouldn't risk the, the Imperium like that. He's, he's too self-controlled. I mean, it's a testament to him that my reaction was just like, if he thinks he can get away with killing these guys, I don't see why he wouldn't. <laughs> I felt like he was kind of calling his shot. He was like, "Yeah, I can get away with killing these guys. What are they going to do?" <laughs> Fair point. Because um, because Gladiator's powers come from his confidence, so I feel like you got to sell him on being confident. And that and that was uh, showing how he's shaken, right? Because he if he wants to kill those people and he's holding back, yeah, he feels yeah. contained. That is that is that's a good point. Um. I, I thought it, that stuff worked. Um, I also like we closed the loop a little bit with the Kazar stuff from the one shot where like evil Kazar happened. Yeah. And 
it doesn't happen right away. I was very confused. I'm like, oh, hey, Kazar is here. Does this mean that this takes place in between the two scenes where, you know, you've got, you know, Kazar, Quasar fighting big evil monster trying to escape the planet. And then you've got Quasar uh, back at uh, Pegasus. And maybe in between those two, there's this. You know, the Imper- I thought the entire Imperial Guard was going to get slaughtered, so would Quasar, and that's when, like, he would get possessed or whatever and show back up as possessed Quasar. But no, uh, that's not what happens. Uh, we don't actually find out exactly what happens until Nova 36, but I thought that would have been cool. Um, but that's not what happened. Yeah, well, yeah, and I think this is supposed to be between those scenes, um, and that's one of the re- reasons I'm happy yeah. we read it in this order. Uh because that was, like, cool foreshadowing. I don't know. It makes the whole yeah. thing feel better paced to me. Yeah. And, I mean, that one shot, I think, came out first anyway. So it was a good a good placement for it. But, uh, yeah, once Quasar cr- crashes on the ship, that's when the uh, Cancerverse X-Men attack. And this was when I really felt like the Imperial Guard was, like, discount X-Men as, like, the... Cancerverse X-Men just brutally murders them, like, slowly picks them off, and it's pretty intense. Um, I'm like, oh, the giant brain Xavier. Yeah, Horrifying. Well, totally freaky. I mean, like, good freaky monster stuff. Yeah. I dig it. Especially, again, Cyclops really... wasn't that different. He just had a few more teeth. Well, it really <laughs> sells you on... Um how to the horribleness of this place i feel like a lot of these like yeah. uh superhero horror worlds don't scare me as much as this one does oh uh, no yeah all of them like when the creature goes to try and eat uh firestar whatever his name is and you just get a look in its mouth with all the teeth kevin kevin walker really sells how just pants darkingly terrifying that would have been yeah, he's good at drawing scary teeth. And then how awesome teeth. it is when Gladiator punches through its brain. Yo, and so that that was when I'm, uh, I perked up a bunch, when Gladiator showed up and just, like, schools the entire Imperial Guard. Yeah. Um, what's also awesome about that is you've been watching him barely contain himself, so watching mm-hmm. him cut loose, like, really has the catharsis I think they were going for. But also, like, shows you, like, he's right. He shouldn't be king. This is what he should be doing. Like, murdering demon monsters. Like, that's what he's good at. He's not good at the silent planning and everything. He's much better at just being like, all right, what do you need punched? Yeah, and... um so it was so smart to make that the central conflict, even though we spent way too much time with a bunch of interchangeable Imperial Guard guys who don't matter. <laughs> and then Talon showing up, pretending to be one of those interchangeable Guard guys who don't matter. The Talon stuff is the only stuff that's I think is cool enough to sustain an ongoing. If the ongoing was from the perspective of the Star Jammers, and they were like pirating and smuggling their way through the Shi'ar Empire as the Talons were like season control and Gladiator was losing it, mm-hmm. that would be a dope ongoing. But following the Imperial Guard and following Gladiator as like the central character, I think is the mistake. You just it's the Imperial Guard. Sorry, it's the Star Jammers. They're Star Jamming and doing cool stuff and having porn star mustaches and uh, being real groovy. And mm-hmm. and they're fighting like this Assassin's Creed alchemy from space conspiracy of awful mages who do necromancy in the stars. It would have been the coolest freaking comic. <laughs> well, you're trying to sell it. It's a little late for that, unfortunately. I mean, maybe they could still do it, but yeah, Talon's still out there. The Star Jammers are still jamming. Yep, somewhere they've got a brand new team, I guess. Maybe we could finally get Sunspot and the New Mutants from Hickman's space team. Oh, sure. I mean, they they team up with the Star Jammers in that one. Yeah. Hopefully we can get them back. Yeah. Anyway, we we get we end up getting two new raptors, and all I said in my notes was, oh, man, he succeeded in making two new raptors. Boo. Yeah. Um, the conspiracy grows. The conspiracy grows. They throw the, the, the symbiote at creepy, nasty brain Xavier. That was a satisfying way to take care of two problems with one stone. And very cathartic because they had really sold the uh, trauma he had gone through with the symbiotes. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get 
gladiator bringing back the corpse of one of these these murder creatures to drop in front of the the inhumans you know as gorgon continues to be just the worst yelling and being stupid i don't like gorgon I don't like I don't like his characterization through here. I mean, it's consistent. It's just I don't like him. I like Gorgon okay, but I have affection for him from other stuff. Yeah, and we end on a really quiet, somber moment of you know the Imperial Guard kind of mourning their losses, and the final page is just this huge splash page of just these tiny little memorial lights on the wall with a Fang at the bottom for scale. And, I mean, whatever else I could say about this miniseries, this ending was keeping in tone with what they were building. Totally. A little at odds with a lot of the more you know, bombastic horror aspects, but a lot of it was kind of the more subtle, somber drama of the Imperial Guard just slowly losing people and being a team that's kind of always been on the on the the outs and slowly falling apart in war we open with a death of one of their teammates and it's kind of brushed over but as we go on we see that each death did matter and the more deaths there are just it's weighs on them yeah um could have been better i they totally hit that tone effectively i think from your tone i'm reading that you I kind of question whether or not that was the best storytelling choice to like go for that sort of story. And I think that I agree having just seen the suicide squad and like liking John Ostrander, who is a contemporary mm-hmm. of Abnett Lanning, uh, his suicide squad comics in the eighties. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would have just been a better tone and a better mode for this was kind of like balls to the wall, laughing, darkly gallows humor stuff. Yeah. And this is yeah. like a real like somber meditation on being a space secret service. Yeah, and I, I think it's also because he, they try to mash the two tones together. Like, it's not full-on Richard Ryder, Ryder in Annihilation, sad boy. Yeah, like you, it, that was very melodramatic. It's not fully that war stuff. Well, especially because this isn't the war. They're like U.S. Yeah. Marshals. Yeah. Shi'ar Marshals. Um, but I'll I tell still you— still like the ending. Yeah, I, I thought it, it was effective. And I'll tell you why I think this entire story is pretty effective. Mm-hmm. And I want to tell you why I think Realm of Kings as a whole is somewhat effective, although definitely feels a little slim. Well, let's close out good old Nova, and then, then we'll talk about that. Sure, the let's final issue of Nova? Yeah, why not? Absolutely. So... In this final issue of Nova, number 36, uh, we're no longer, blessedly, we are no longer fighting the Sphinx. (laughs) Um, We are dealing with a villain who was established in an earlier issue who is definitely like a loosely hanging thread, and that is like the dark, evil version of Kazar, the guy who came back through the fault. Yeah, he was in one scene, and then we did nothing with him. Yeah, well, that's an appropriate amount of time in an ongoing to like plant a little seed and wait for it to grow. Yeah. So we get Nova, he's kind of touring Pegasus, he's talking with, with evil Quasar, uh, and then you just, on two or three pages in, the shoe kind of drops when Nova's like, huh, guess what? Another Quasar just showed up on the Shi'ar homeworld, and they were fighting evil space demons, and you're saying there was nothing wrong with the fault, and this guy doesn't even try to deny it. He's like, I've been found out! <laughs> Emperor Palpatine. I mean, clearly they had to to rush because this is the last issue, and this does not feel like uh, how much time they had were planning on. No, yeah, it felt like this should have been a lot more teased out. But I was suspecting and like, but I love a lot it. Of that. I love it. This is perfect. I wish more often comics would just uh, in the film, like page four, be like, "All right, we're fighting." Just like uh, you found me out. I just like uh, totally play a card that they've been holding for a long time. I feel, yes. I feel like you would wait, you know, you'd build and build for an entire issue, then you'd do it on the last page, then the next issue would start. But this just felt like crazy because it was like, you know what, this isn't even, this yeah. this seed isn't even the most important thing on our plate. We got places to be. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> I just, I kind of, I wish it was a little more, what's the word for it? Um, 
Yeah, I, I guess I just wish they they had had more time to develop it, uh, or at least maybe you know have him show up a little bit more. Uh, like Dark Crazy doesn't do anything. We don't see yeah, any th- of the machinations. We don't see any of the the stuff that gets kind of revealed here. It's like, oh yeah, Pegasus has been taken over. I'm like, how much time has he been here? I, I have no sense of that. Yeah, I mean. I'm I'm most interested in viewing this as a finale. Like you're totally right that uh, Dark Hazer showed up and like didn't have time. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't get to. We don't even know what it really motivates him. We just know that he's like an evil bastard from the evil yeah. place. Um, well, I mean that's kind of his motivation. Like I said, like I thought this guy was killed. I said it in the episode. I thought that. You know, Nova or whoever had killed this guy. He was the big space octopus that came out of the rift early on. Uh, that That's who they murdered. Or not murdered. That's who they killed. And that's why I thought Krazer had been possessed. But no, he just made it through. And that's what they were teasing in the issue. Yeah. Um, I agree with you about the, the pacing is totally off. But in terms of like a, a, a hero fight and villain stuff, um, the betrayal was exciting and the fighting was cool. Yeah, no, it was. And, you know, Pegasus Project Pegasus being taken over was, was kind of fun. And it's happened a lot of times already, but whatever. Oh, yeah. Uh, we get some some good good monologuing. Uh, we get Dr. Necker being knocked out. Uh, and then there's romantic tension between Dr. Necker and Nova because Namorita is back. And for some reason, Nova isn't over Namorita and is suddenly back in love with her. Yeah, that's the craziest thing about this finale, is um, we just spent four issues dealing with the fucking Sphinx of all people. The Namorita <laughs> being a back thing is like an intriguing development. I wonder how this is going to disrupt everything else that's been developing. But it doesn't disrupt, it replaces. Like, um, I uh, There's all these characters, and a lot of them like show up and uh, have some sort of impact, but like I feel like... Um, we don't really get a lot of good Richard Worldmind stuff. We don't really get anything with the uh, significant with the other members of the Nova Corps. We don't get anything about like remember that the series started with the death of Xandar and how that traumatized Richard and like plunged him into war and he's a veteran. Yeah, yeah. None of that stuff comes up in this issue. All of the remember how he, he like was the co-founder of the Guardians of the Galaxy, but then like had to go off solo and kind of like abandoned his, like none of his relationship with any of those characters. It's just all about him and Namorita, who we just got introduced to last issue. And I'm optimistic. I, like I know she's a character; she could like uh, I, grow on me. But to make her the the emotional core of the finale is just like ludicrous. Yeah, it's. Uh, it, it, I, I liked this issue. I really did. I think it was a little rushed, but like, after having four issues with the Sphinx, I would much rather have a single issue like this, like a night, a nice one shot, wrapping things up really fast. Not wrapping things up, but like, per- propelling the narrative forward in a non decompressed way. You know, they they defeat some big weird star. E- evil Quasar runs away with some MacGuffin information to do big bad evil stuff in the distance, and you know that stuff isn't resolved. But Pegasus is freed. Darkhawk is knocked out. Like it sufficiently sells the stakes of the conflict that's coming up. And then the issue ends with Richard flying off into into space to uh, respond to. Uh, an eight by eight distress uh, about the fault, you know, about things possibly coming through for it. Uh, and then at the bottom, it says never the end, which you just know is a bad sign. Oh. That's what all of these early cancellations say. Yeah. That's what you write when you got canceled and you're kind of salty about it. Um, yeah. Now I, think... I do have a big brain galaxy take that I will save for the end of Thanos imperative because I do know I kind of know what happens at the end because I've read modern comics and they've talked about it yeah but the, I, the I, how I, is I know nothing about Thanos imperative other than I think I know like the aftermath you know the fate of certain characters because it, the fate was later yeah. reversed <laughs> yeah um, and I wonder how much of that was influenced this series ending where it did or if you know 
that was always the end, but it was, but you know, Nova was supposed to go for many more issues or whatever. Um, I, I uh, I am pretty, it's, it's very clear that, that these cancellations were sudden. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think they do a pretty damn good job with the ending considering the circumstance, which is also what oh, yeah. I feel like you're saying about this issue Nova 36 is you're like, strangely, these guys are all such pros that this works as an issue, even though, um, it's completely like derailed by the circumstance. Yeah. Uh, what I think, what what bumps me out though, what I feel like what could have been is there was a great. It's, uh, but do you remember the the Nova Annual that we that was part of uh, Annihilation Conquest? Mm-hmm. Where um we jump into the future and we see Richard Ryder and he's lost the Conquest War and the Phalanx is spread out throughout the galaxy and Earth is the they're trying to liberate Earth and then he has to fight all the heroes of Earth as like Phalanx guys and it touched upon he meets the son of the uh, woman who he failed to save and he grew up to become a soldier and he's got feelings about that it was really emotional and it was just like um a future that could have been that also like uh, had him remembering a lot of like uh, important moments in his life story. I feel like that's what you need this finale to be something with that sort of that with that weight. Yeah. And in, instead it's a lead in to the uh, next mini series. Yeah. Um, so in that, the issue didn't work for me. It worked for me as well as any Abnett Landing issue at this point works, which is pretty dang good. And I also, I think that this era, uh, Abnett Landing was on fire. I think that they, uh, they've they been writing comics for a while at this point, but uh, doing these space comics really uh, unlocked something for them. And all the com- they didn't do that many more comics as a partners, but uh, the, the, I would continue. They had a great Heroes for Hire run that I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, worth checking out their other collaborations from around the same okay. time. And I guess the other thing I want to follow up on now before we get to the next time is what happened to Garth and Saul? We we never followed up on that. And it's been eating at me. Oh, yeah. And it's worse than you think. I'm pretty sure in limbo forever. Oh, we don't follow up on that tease? That was such an important tease. I don't think so. Uh... That's how. Oh, it... man. I, I might be mistaken, but that's how it be sometimes. Oh man, that's disappointing. Um, I was hoping maybe he'd show up again in Thanos Imperative. That's what I thought would be showing up in these issues, and not the Sphinx. The Sphinx! Oh my God. Um, can't get over it. I was I was actually excited to find out what was up with the Sphinx, but now that we have, oh, he's a buffoon. Ugh. He's a buffoon. Um, Sphinx blows. Um. I had some criticisms of these issues, but I have to say, I think that Realm of Kings ultimately was a success. Um, sure, my big criticism is I wish there was more of it, but already I think that's yeah. a certain kind of success. And moreover, where this leaves me is really bummed out that next time we're doing the finale, I would love to read years of comics set in the status quo. It's one of the only times that I feel like Marvel space stuff often feels like, like a theme park version of these planets that they go to. It never feels like a society with a culture. They're always just like a bunch of silly Kalamazoo, Dr. Seuss syllables. Yeah. They're just like, here we are on the planet, uh, you And, um, there's a bunch of people there and there are a bunch of fluorescent colors and have antennas and just like you mm. never feel any permanence to any of the places. And, and now I want to like the Shi'ar empire feels like a really vibrant kind of culture and they're an empire. Right. And there's like the, the there's and piracy and assassins. And then the, right. the Kree story is a little bit more like a highfalutin sci-fi AI stuff. Right. Yeah. It's, I, I wanted. I also feel that I wanted more Realm of Kings, and that's why I'm so dissatisfied with the whole thing, because it felt like it was just getting started. And that's also why I'm like calling it Realm of Kings, and having that banner across everything kind of sold it either as you know a build up, like a thing in and of itself, rather than a status quo. And that's what Realm of Kings really is it is a new status quo rather than war of kings which was an event annihilation which was an event conquest which was an event it's kind of like they um, didn't brand guardians of the galaxy the guarding era 
Yeah, it's kind of like uh, how they did Secret Invasion, which just ended, and now running contemporaneously with uh, Realm of Kings is Dark Reign, which is what every issue was in those mm-hmm. in that story. And then that wrapped up in an event called Siege, and that was back to being an, like a crossover event. Um, the, the Marvel marketing at, at this time was really bad, and it was about to get worse. Yep. Yep. So... I guess I'm dissatisfied not with Realm of Kings in actuality, but with Realm of Kings the marketing, and, <laughs> as is often the case. And Realm of Kings the circumstance, like it's such a bummer yeah. that um, that they we didn't... don't get to explore it more. And I'm sure they would have had to do like another huge cosmic war before too long. But yeah, it just would have been so fun. I love the status quo right now. I love that Blastar is king of the former conquered Kree throne worlds. There's just all these like cool politics and territory that's been ceded. And like the Skrull Empire is shattered. And um, I love and uh, the Medusa is ruling the Inhumans. Like that's a status quo. You know, Medusa moves to New Jersey after this. What? Yeah, really? after Infinity, when they're doing all the Inhumanity stuff, uh, Adelano. Oh, wait, 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 wait. That's like right around here. Um, just the, we don't spend a lot of time looking at Medusa the Ruler. That's the next big story that happens. Is she gets brought back for that? Uh, she, right, right, right. She, uh, a bunch of this stuff ends up. Jonathan Hickman picks up on some of the Inhuman stuff in his Fantastic Four run, which is great. I should reread it a million more times. Mm-hmm. Um. There's an amazing issue about Ronan and Crystal. It's one of my favorite issues in his run. It's clear that Hickman has a lot of affection for uh, this Annihilation saga. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but by and large, these characters never get focused on in this way, and Marvel will largely drop um, having consistent space stuff for many years. Yeah. I'm going to talk more about that. Consistent uh, ongoings for many, many years. Um. It's weird because there's a like a dry period after after Thanos Imperative. The Guardians don't show none of the characters show up again for a couple of years until they show up in Avengers, and then we'll talk about that next time. Yeah. Um. Yeah. In in the meanwhile, Elias, if uh, if people felt that this episode was too short, much shorter than our usual timing, and just like needed more Elias Rosner content, where should they go looking for you? Well, they could go looking for me. Uh, well, I mean, they wouldn't find much new actual content on uh, <laughs> uh, on Twitter where I am. Uh, but I am on Twitter at Quetzal-ish. That's Q-U-E-T-Z-E-L-I-S-H. It was going to be longer, but then Marvel Editorial came in and cut it off. <laughs> uh, you could also find me writing at multiversitycomics.com. And I have many articles there. They are a lot of fun. Go read my uh, Way of the House Husband article. I'm really proud of it. It's it's you know, good. It's, it's been out for a while, but I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, and I hope that you get some recommendations for shows also from that one. It's good. Um, uh, it is. Uh, Where can they find you, Jake, on the larger interwebs? I can be found also on Twitter at rambling underscore moose. I can also be found on multiversitycomics.com, which is a pretty great website. Uh, I am still writing about X-Men every month, and you can also read my reviews of Attack on Titan, which I am digging the final season of. And if that infuriates or intrigues you, you should come find out why. (laughs) This is why I don't tweet. Uh, next time, if you uh, needed to be told, we are reading the Thanos Imperative. Um, that can be found in trades called the Thanos Imperative. But if you're a real issue hunter, it goes Thanos Imperative Ignition number one, then Thanos Imperative numbers one to six, and then Thanos Imperative Devastation number one. And we hope you enjoy it. And we will see you there. See you next time. Excelsior.